0: Welcome to Real Assets Real Expertise, a podcast brought to you by Crestbridge. It's the place where we explore the world of real estate. Introducing your host, Stephanie Workman. You're listening to Real Assets Real Expertise.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Real Assets Real Expertise podcast. Today's guest is Andrea Carpenter, a director of Diversity Talks Real Estate. Andrea is also a writer and a communications consultant in the property industry. I met Andrea at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 in relation to a project surrounding governance and women in non-executive directorships. Andrea is currently working as a consultant for the Urban Land Institute on its Sea Change programme, which is designed to help to speed up and scale up decarbonisation in the European real estate industry thank you for being with us today. So welcome to the latest episode of the Real Assets Real Expertise podcast. Today's guest is Andrea Carpenter, a director of Diversity Talks Real Estate. Andrea is also a writer and communications consultant in the property industry. She's currently working as a consultant for the Urban Land Institute on its Sea Change programme, which is designed to help speed up and scale up decarbonisation in the European real estate industry. Now, Andrea, you've been working with the Urban Land Institute to drive industry level change um, in order to hit the net zero target by 2050 in line with the Paris Agreement. Can you tell us a bit more about the scope of the work involved with the consultation and its key objectives?
2: Yeah, so if I can take you for the starting point, which is actually back in COVID when we had to do a virtual conference for ULI's annual conference. And I was the moderator for that conference. And one of the speakers was Sir David King, who is um, he was the chief scientist, I think, for the UK, but also has been a huge proponent of climate change and the dangers. And really, he kind of left his speech with like "to the real estate industry. This is a call to action. You need to work together. You need to collaborate because you are 39 percent of carbon emissions. So Lisette Van Dorn, who's the CEO of ULI Europe, took that to heart, went away and, you know, and, and with, in conversations, you know, brought together a group of leading companies who had already started to realize that this wasn't going to work for them to do it themselves. You know, if you're a large company who can educate yourself in climate change, educate yourself in the best ways to adapt and deal with that. You know as soon as you go to a city in another country you're dealing with a local architect likely you're dealing with local um, suppliers who will be less educated and that kind of you know means that your organization just kind of down the value chain it doesn't work so they wanted to make sure all companies had ex- access to solutions and education about this and we all wanted to push forward anyway it's such a a, a critical topic so sea change was born and sea and change is really um, an industry movement. You know, ULI is leading it, but wants to bring everyone together because we really believe that the solutions for these problems are in the kind of minds of the industry. Do you know what I mean, if we work individually, we don't get there. But if we come together, we we really find a solution. So after really scanning everything that was being done um, in the industry, working with a great consultancy called One O Three. Came to a number of intervention points and the priority two that were worked on to begin with was around transition risks and the fact that transition risks can't be factored into valuations and also looking at the, the, you know, the relationship between tenants and landlords and how can they align better on decarbonisation goals. Both companies and landlords want to do the right thing, but not working together, there could be a lot, lot more alignment. So those are the two things that are being worked on at the
1: moment. Fantastic. So the ULI has been warning the real estate industry of what it describes as a carbon bubble uh, being on the horizon. Why is it urgent for the industry to be called to action now?
2: So, yeah, that carbon bubble comes from this work around transition risks and the fact that, um, you know, transition risks, which we're really talking about those risks that are building holds to be able to kind of be fit for purpose in a low carbon environment so as we go forward we want to decarbonize and have a very low carbon emission environment so at the moment it's it's not possible to factor in transition risks into valuation and apologies for anyone who didn't realize that this was going to be a podcast
1: about valuation but
2: <laughs> here we are i'll try and keep, I'll try and keep it alive. it's a real
1: estate podcast they they love like, a bit of valuation
2: chat yeah it's got to go there at some point so At the moment, you know, obviously, value is worked by the Red Book, which is a set of rules that have been in existence for a long time. And they work very much on comparables. And at the moment, unless there's a regulation that tells them they need to factor in a potential risk or unless there's kind of um, unless there is kind of a a body of evidence which can show them the reality or the, the evidence of what kind of impact, you know, transition risks are going to have on pricing. Then the, the valuers are not able to factor that in. So any work that you might be doing to um, switch to renewable energy sources to kind of upgrade your facade, change your windows, upgrade your plan for the building, you know, all that work might not be factored into a valuation. And if you haven't done that work, that risk isn't there. And if you think about the industry, every single building at the moment needs to upgrade, it needs to do some work. So simplistically, if your building's worth a hundred actually it might only be worth 85 or 90 or 95 because that amount has to be spent on um, invested in making your building kind of more to net zero essentially that's what we're aiming for so what we're saying is at the moment unless we are realistic about the fact that every single building needs to do this every building has you know a, a carbon bubble every building has you know is slightly but you know, priced higher than its value in that sense, or value over, slightly overvalued. You know, and at the moment that doesn't matter, but what happens if, you know, if tomorrow for many countries, the EU changes the regulation and says that in five years time, you have to have done this work. Well then suddenly that amount becomes very real and you are going to have to kind of factor that into, you know, your value of your building and what, you know, your the pro- future prospects of your building. So what we're saying is, can we find a way to deflate that bubble by dealing
1: with that transition mm. risk now mm. it's like preempting it so it doesn't all happen at yeah. once if that is right. the scenario um speaking about transition risks so the ULI has published its transition risk assessment consultation guidelines which covers templates uh, for disclosures and reporting why is standardization and data sharing so important in the industry's ambitions for decarbonization
2: so those we see those consultation guidelines as a potential kind of unlocking of this problem that we have at the moment because if you think about it carbon bubble or otherwise at the moment if you go to buy and sell a building there is no common language to talk about you know what transition risks do you have you know two different companies might assess those you know that kind of um process of taking a building to net carbon zero differently so and if we're not transparent about it, it might stop those purchases happening. What might also happen is people who are more educated on what their buildings are going to cost to get to net zero, they may be selling those buildings into the market to less educated buyers. You know, so what we're saying is, can we have some guidelines, a common methodology, and that's what these guidelines do, a common methodology to assess what those risks are at the moment, to basically assess and disclose those risks. What we're saying is there's 14 risks that we've identified that relate to decarbonisation and nine of those are things that we could quantify already if we all took the same assumptions. And they could already be factored into a discounted cash flow as you think about the valuation of your building and kind of understanding the prospects of your building going forward financially. So what we're saying also is that it does need a mindset shift as well. Because at the moment, that information gap—if you're more educated, less educated on, car, you know, what the building, what needs to be done to buildings—is kind of a competitive advantage for some. But we think that's sort of a short-term gain, really, mm. considering what we need to do. Actually, what we need to do when we're 39% of carbon emissions is to speed up and scale up that decarbonisation. So now is not the time to use that aspect of um, you know, a, a transaction or the value of your building as competition. Mm. We're saying, could companies be transparent about that layer? Plenty more things to be kind of competitive about. When you're buying and selling buildings, you've obviously got different perspectives on why they're selling it, why you're buying it. So there's plenty still to get to grips with. But if we can be, if we can remove that knowledge gap and have a, you know, and make sure everyone knows kind of around, you know, what is the risk of taking this building terms of decarbonization? I think then we can have like better conversations, better discussions about it, and better understanding of why people are buying and selling. And you know, there's all people there's always people who are more opportunistic than others mm-hmm. who think, okay, well, that looks like a, a high cost, but I know what I could do with that building if I can do the decarbonisation as well. So it's about removing that layer of competitiveness and saying, actually, let's just all move forward on this. Because I think if we don't. You know we're risking just decarbonizing some buildings where actually in
1: reality all assets across the industry need to go to net zero mm. great, and I suppose it also helps to build up that evidence base as well. The more transparency there is um that really helps the whole industry
2: you're right, and it you we have more evidence we have more understanding of what works and you know what has worked and what has has fed through into values there's a positive side to this Mm. as well you know we're not saying that this is just cost 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 it does look like cost to begin with but actually if you're reducing the net operating costs of a building then you're actually making it more affordable for your tenant Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so there's definitely there's definitely kind of positives there in doing this way and you know talking about those values if we start to give them evidence as well
1: that can be reflected in values as well absolutely so What would happen if we weren't to take this course of action? Would there be consequences for our cities, for example?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think what I've described is quite technical and quite a technical solution, for actually what is quite a societal issue. I think at the moment, you know, the the way that decarbonisation is being driven is that people are looking for places where they can find value. You know, if they're going to decarbonise, is there what they would call a green premium? Is there a reason for doing it? Whereas, as I said, we need all our buildings to do this. So I think capital and investment is being driven into higher value locations where actually you know, the, you know, the outcome might reflect better in a, a higher rent or higher values. But actually because the valuers aren't, aren't able to factor in the fact that decarbonization might have helped with that, it kind of gets ascribed to the location or the type of building. So what you'll see then is maybe a movement towards more people, more kind of, sorry, more companies investing in place and higher value places. So it will kind of almost narrow the places in which the capital will go first to decarbonize. And if you're pushing money towards higher value locations, then you're leaving behind lower value locations. So what you might be doing to cities is. You know, inadvertently creating places that will have more stranded assets, so those that are not fit for purpose mm. from a carbon point of view. And you know, I'm, I'm not just I'm talking about kind of areas that are good, solid, working office areas, living areas, amenities for smaller, medium-sized businesses. You know, places like the city, the West End will always be okay, the central business districts. But you know, there's a the role to play for other parts of cities, and if we're not paying attention to those in terms of decarbonisation, we could be kind of losing some of those with more stranded assets. And that kind of almost is a cycle of decline mm. then. But also it's about equality. It's about places and making sure that we're investing in the places that need more investment to bring those areas of our cities that require more investment higher up. So it's a technical solution for what's a really important issue to keep like the investment markets flowing and also the investment flowing into all parts of our cities
1: so looking forward what would you say is next in the process for us
2: well next for i would love everyone to go away and read those consultation guidelines and give um uli its feedback that will be happening until probably the end of the first quarter 2023 and also um, what we've done, because we felt that there was a technical solution, but also a, a, a story, there is a report called um, Breaking the Value Deadlock, um, Enabling Action Towards Decarbonisation, which sort of tells that story of uh, I think why it's important to collaborate and why it's important to not be competitive about this. You know, overall, Sea Change is trying to be like a neutral place for everyone to come together to work on different things. So we welcome involvement from, from all companies, all organizations. And, and while that consultation is going on as well, we're working on that second intervention that I spoke about, which is about tenant landlord alignment. So I said, you know, like we know companies are also got their agen- green agendas as well. And, and it's so interesting because they are obviously massive users of buildings, but when you look at them as a company, let's look at a retailer you know buildings are a very small part of what is their problem around decarbonization they've got to do a lot more work about manufacturing and supply mm-hmm. chain so their focus might not be on buildings so one of the things we really need to do is say to occupies okay it might be a small part of your you know of your kind of overall issue but it's a big part of the big problem you know it's it's a p- part of the 39 percent and you know we've already done quite a lot of work talking one-to-one of occupiers trying to understand what they're you know what do they need what are they working on how can the industry help because we just think there's a there's not there's been a sort of a not difficult relationship just a history of not a relationship of these sides talking and this is a really important time when the parties need to come together and help so, help each other solve each other's problems mm. i think i think they can, it can help can be both ways, certainly. So we'll be doing a lot more on tenant and landlord alignment on decarbonisation going forward as and,
1: well. And that's where that common language piece could come in really handy, because you're not having to demystify it every time it's put into plain language. You don't have to be a surveyor to understand the guidelines, you know, so um, that plain language is really going to help. I think
2: you're right. I think even in the occupier interviews, we talk a different language. It's really strange. It, it's it, and we've not been talking to each other. So we have, you know, like the occupiers are really interested in having great buildings of well-being and kind of, you know, wood and all that sort of thing. You know, that look really sustainable. Whereas I think the industry is very focused on decarbonisation at the moment the certificates and making sure it's operationally efficient. So neither side knows what the other side is thinks is best for each other it's really it's really interesting and say so just having yeah the common languages common conversations about you know how to move forward is is so key and yeah every time you standardize i think that you allow Growth. You allow consistency, which allows people to move forward more confidently. Yeah,
1: Yeah. transparency. I think is the way forward, and it sounds like that's that's where you're going.
2: I've always I've done a lot of work for industry associations. It's always about transparency. You know, we did a lot with InRev around making the industry transparent for growth. You know, and if you look at this, this is transparency for survival. You know, Mm. this is really important about making sure that our investment markets and our buildings you know after the right for the next generation of people and companies and you know what the planet needs as well
1: out of interest if if an organization listening in wanted to get involved with this what what how would they go about getting in touch
2: yeah well get in touch with the um there's a, a website the ULI Europe website, there's a C change page under the research drop down look there. Actually my details are there, so just contact me <laughs> somewhere or other link in with me or email me. So we're just there's definitely different ways we want you to get involved, whether that's kind of um attending a webinar and feeding back, you know, attending a QA, making sure that this is distributed and getting feedback. You know, if you're working with tenants a lot, come on board. I know that. So, you know i know that there's um a lot more um a lot more kind of um engagement and uh, with with tenants at the moment so let's try and help everyone kind of sort that i know that on one of the other podcasts you'll be talking about green leases mm. you know an important connection between landlords and tenants so there's lots of different ways that we can look at kind of um getting people involved so basically go to the website and contact me somehow Fair. and i'll slot you
1: into something or <laughs> get you involved excellent it will be really interesting to see where the industry is in the next sort of one to three years. Um, and, you know, I think as we said earlier, it sounds like we can't wait much longer to take action here. And it will likely be a domino effect in the market as each player moves forward. You know, it's just waiting to see who makes the first move. As soon as that happens, we'll see higher numbers of more and more um, others playing follow suit, really. Yeah. And I
2: think Sea Change is about also saying that, saying that we have to come together because if we're fragmented and we're quite a fragmented industry, then we're not going to move forward Mm. as one. So that's why it's a convening place as well, because we want everyone to have their say and talk about what's the best way forward.
1: Yeah, I think the longer a standoff goes (laughs) <laughs> goes on the the issue just compounds so
2: yeah i know i think everyone's trying to everyone's been really good i think there's a, such a positive momentum for for environmental and the decarbonization and looking at the paris agreement targets at the moment but everyone's moving forward as a company individually mm. everyone's doing great work but to scale up that we almost we have to try and find that standardization and that consistency it's not that people aren't addressing this it's just that we could make it work faster
1: so as mentioned at the beginning of the session um, we met in 2020 through your involvement in women talk real estate who have delivered some absolutely fantastic training sessions that i've attended Um, and we've also rolled out within crestbridge as part of our dei efforts Um, women talk real estate has expanded recently could you tell us a little bit more about that and what your plans are for 2023 how can our listeners find out a bit more about this
2: yeah so we started women talk for real estate in uh, launched in 2017 just because we did not see enough women on stage at industry events and we thought this is ridiculous i much the industry is so social back being social again now we've come through the pandemic mostly you know and you know that's such that such an important place that stage to be able to hear women and hear their views and make sure they're part of the conversation this i think i've always thought this industry's very good at wanting to move forward as an industry. And those kind of, you know, those events are really about like how do we move forward. So we needed women to be part of that. So we set up Women Talk Real Estate, which was essentially a database of female professionals who wanted to speak at industry events. We would then get event organisers to use that database to identify and invite um, female professionals. Five years later, we are kind of we've surpassed a thousand invitations that have gone through the system. And as you said, also done, um, kind of, you know, tried to bridge a gap there that we knew that some women didn't have the confidence to go on stage or just wanted more education about that. So done training courses about being on a panel discussion, but yeah, being on a panel discussion, um, moderating or or maybe just kind of learning how to kind of talk about ourselves differently in a, in a world where, you know, actually we may play down our strengths sometimes. So just some really interesting things like that. So, you know, about a year ago, we thought, well, if it's working for female professionals, why wouldn't it work for other underrepresented groups in the industry? So we broadened out to diversity talks, real estate. We are kind of essentially focused on women still and then um, people of all gender from ethnic minority backgrounds. But we also just said, look, if you represent an underrepresented group, come to us, be part of the database. We want you that you to harness the platform and we're really pleased that we've got people from neurodiverse background, LGBTQ, dis- disabilities. So, you know, we've really had a positive response for that, which I think is fantastic. And you know, anything to kind of give all those different groups, so, you know, representation at events and things like that. So so we still do the Women Talk Real Estate training course. There's something special about women training together. It's such a con- it's just such a wonderful environment mm. and everyone really enjoys that. and, You know, in 2023, we're kind of launching a new course actually around um, trying to be kind of a a non-executive director. We think, again, in terms of visibility, boards are an important place where we should be seeing more female representation. So we know that's something that you have to start early. So we're Mm -hmm. trying to get women to introduce the concept of it so they can be thinking about that not a year ahead of wanting to do it, but five or eight years ahead of wanting to do it. So that's gonna be a really nice one day course. It's really nice to to have expanded both in terms of the, the, the groups that we're trying to represent and support in terms of their visibility and just to support the industry where it's going from a diversity point of view, but also to still kind of keep focus also on training women into areas where we need more representation. Fabulous.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming in today and chatting to me about um, all the hard work that you've been doing and um, best of luck with uh, how that continues. And we'll share some details when we publish the podcast about how we can get in touch with you for both uh, the ULI stuff and the Women and Diversity Talk Real Estate side. So thank you so much, Andrea, and I'll speak to you you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: You've been listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast from Crestbridge, presented by Stephanie Workman. To find more episodes of our podcast, go to our website, crestbridge.com, or where you usually download your podcasts. For more information on how Crestbridge can provide a range of services to support your real estate structures, visit our website, www.crestbridge.com realassetsrealexpertise.com